Welcome to BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway, where we talk about everything and no subject is left unturned, untouched, and unnoticed. And we will cover and talk about everything as I like to think there are elements of me that represent everybody. What you hear, do your own research to, fact check us, and then apply accordingly. This means no one is ever completely right, and when you bring your own brain, you are in the best position possible to think for yourself. We're on five days a week, wherever you find your podcast, and you can reach us via our Facebook page. So please leave a comment, a review, a critique, and a shout out. And if by chance there are topics you'd like to have discussed or questions you want referenced on a particular show, drop us an email to WKIR100 at gmail.com. That's WKIR100 for We Keep It Real and 100 at gmail.com. It's Monday, September 20th, and you know what that is. We are the Monday quarterback. Can't say morning. You don't know what time you're listening to this, but it is Monday, and we're going to talk football today. I promise you that there will be some Mondays we won't talk football, but for now, we're going to talk football. Uh, NFL, NCAA, and let's start with the NCAA. Uh, I call it the Magnificent Seven. There were seven games of interest. Um, I checked a lot of those out and watched a lot of them in their entirety. I did watch some in their entirety. And I want to start with this first one, number eight, Cincinnati, who I believe in quite a bit. Uh, Luke Fickle, former Ohio State coordinator and then for one season head coach. He stayed on with Urban Meyer after Urban took over the head job in Columbus. He now is the head man Luke Fickle is uh, in Cincinnati and doing a tremendous job. The Bearcats are number eight, uh, really good ball club, physical. They've got a really uh, exciting team, and it's an exciting time for them. And I believe they're going to make some noise before it's all said and done. They traveled to Indiana. Now, this was a tougher game that I think people saw on paper because you don't know what Indiana has. People remember Indiana. Uh, the lasting image we have of Indiana was pushing Justin Fields and Ohio State to the brink last year in an empty stadium in Columbus. Uh, this time around, uh, Indiana now hopefully trying to reassume uh, some identity. And this was a tougher game than the final score would indicate. Cincinnati won 38-24. Uh, but it was Indiana's defense early and Cincinnati penalties early that kept the Bearcats from really being the Bearcats. I thought the turning point in the game was a targeting call on Indiana. I can't remember the linebacker's name. Uh, it was a targeting call, and it changed the tenor of the game. The Bengals, uh, the Bengals, I'm sorry, the Bearcats pushed it from that point. Um, and then they really, really... Uh, came out in the second half, and I really thought we we're going to make a push, but then, uh, again, penalty, and that was the theme for the Bearcats throughout. Uh, penalty cost them a first down, and then they missed the field goal, and I thought at that point, man, Indiana's got a chance. Uh, but then the, backs, the back half of the game, at least for a good section of it, was back and forth, back and forth. 
since he would finally take the lead because Indiana led most of the first half. Since he took the lead, Indiana took it back. Uh, and the Hoosiers took the lead back from Cincinnati with about four minutes left in the third, only to see Cincinnati on the opening or on the ensuing kickoff, ran it back 99 yards and retook the lead, and then they never looked back. They handled it um, from there. The verdict on Cincinnati, it was adversity, and it's what they needed, in my opinion. They needed that challenge. They needed that push. Uh, they're going to know a lot about their future in a couple of weeks when they visit South Bend. I've gone on record by saying I think Cincinnati will win that game. I, I think that we're going to go to Notre Dame and beat Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame is overrated. I don't think they are as skilled as they've been in the past, and I think Cincinnati can expose them. I think Luke Fickle gives them the mindset that allows them to go on the road and win that game. But this was a game Cincinnati needed. Uh, I think adversity is good for teams early on. You're going to see in some of these that we're going to recap, adversity was, I thought, the theme of the day for a lot of the higher-ranked ball clubs. So we're going to know a lot about Cincinnati in two weeks. That's going to be a game I will not miss. Second game on our Magnificent Seven recap, Nebraska at number three, Oklahoma now. Oklahoma was favored by double digits. They win this game 23-16. to Nebraska, I thought, uh, Scott Frost, uh, so much hope for him to turn Nebraska around. The first drive seemed to exemplify or reflect, is a better word, what Nebraska has been all season. Four penalties on the opening drive. Uh, I thought just really did Nebraska in. It it showed they may have not been ready for the moment. Oklahoma was a 22-point favorite, uh, and they struggled. Um, I said this last week. I said it the week before. Rattler is not the Heisman favorite. He looked pedestrian. He Percentage was good. But the yardage was low. He only threw one touchdown. He threw no picks. But it wasn't. It was a game Oklahoma should have ran Nebraska off the field. They should have literally ran Nebraska to the parking lot and got them halfway started on a run back to Lincoln. Should have ran them out of there. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, Nebraska is still hovering near mediocrity. They're not at mediocrity. They're just bad. They're one of the powers of college football that has fallen off in a great way. They're sitting in a room right now with Miami uh, and Florida State and wondering, how did we get here? Uh, Oklahoma, they've got to get better on offense if they're going to be as good as people say they are. Uh, and are they as good as they can be ranked third in the nation? I don't know that they're that good. I don't. Uh, and this game did not sway me. Uh, any further along those lines. Game number three, 
was uh, a game that I saw coming. This final score did not surprise me. I think this team is uh, going to make some noise in the Big Ten. They have a new personality uh, there, and that was Miami at Michigan State. Um, this was a game um, I just I saw it coming. Uh, I said earlier I did not think um, Miami was that good. I said this uh, after Alabama beat them. Uh, I said it uh, last week when they struggled with Appalachian State, and I'm saying it again. Michigan State won the game 38-17, and this wasn't a game at East Lansing. This was a game in Miami. They missed opportunities. Uh, they had a 10-point lead. Here's the thing. Miami had a 10-point lead with 13 minutes to go. Think about that for a second. Miami had a 10-point lead with 13 minutes to go. Miami now, with six and a half minutes left, couldn't get a third down stop. Couldn't get a fourth down stop with 425 left. And then Michigan State scored on the very next play. And that was it. That was all she wrote. Um, they, they handled them. This Miami team wasn't that good to begin with. They're not close to being, quote, back, end quote. They're just not. And they won't see the top 25 again this year. I, I just don't think they will. Um... I just don't think they will. They're, they're a done dish. They're not going to compete in the ACC. They're going to be borderline mediocrity in the same room with Nebraska and Florida State. Michigan State, however, is worthy of ranking. I said two weeks ago, this team under head coach Mel Tucker is very good. They're physical. They're fundamental. They're not flashy. They are exactly what Michigan State has always been. They're solid in some areas. And they're going to be uh, good in what I believe will be a very tough Big Ten conference. It's not top-heavy like it was in years when it was just Michigan. I'm sorry, when it was just Ohio State, Wisconsin, and maybe one other team. Listen, the Big Ten is good. Michigan's improved. Michigan State's improved. Iowa's improved. Ohio State maybe has come back to the pack a little bit, but they're still very good. Wisconsin is still very good. The Big Ten will be tough this year. Um, fourth game. Purdue, speaking of the Big Ten, at Notre Dame. And the Irish have slid, despite winning, to number 12. And they didn't convince me that they deserved to stay in the top 10. They won 27 to 13. Yeah, they won by 14 points. They went by two touchdowns. But they looked uninspired and unmotivated. And Purdue had chances. Neither team was good in the third down conversion. And uh, I just believe, and, and if you've listened to me for any length of time, I am big on, you know, understanding third down conversions and what that means. They were both in the 25% range. 
just not converting opportunities. Cone, who is the new quarterback, I spoke highly of him, and I think he is talented. But his talent kind of ended after the first three quarters of the Florida State game. Now, that's not saying much because the Knowles are bad. And I'm saying that as a Florida State fan, having been one for a long time. But he seems to be, Cone seems to be regressing a bit from those first three quarters against Florida State. He was a very pedestrian, a Rattler-like, 14 of 28 for 215 and two TDs, no picks. Their best player may be their running back in Kyron Williams. He almost got 100 yards on the ground. If they can develop the run game with some play action, they may be able to look a little better. But that hasn't happened. And you've got a big game with Cincinnati in two weeks. Got to figure that out. They need more work. They, they really do. And they have the same issues they've had from the previous games. They've got to fix those. Next game up. Game number five. I'm progressing through. We've talked about Cincy in Indiana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Michigan State, Miami, Purdue at Notre Dame. Game number five. Tulsa at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are another enigma to me. They're sliding uh, down. They've got some defensive issues. The defensive coordinator was not on the field. He was in the press box. Somebody else is calling plays. There's a mess in Columbus. Uh, they've got some things to work on. The final score was 41 to 20, but it took Ohio State a minute to pull away. It was thought that the Buckeye offense wasn't the problem, that their problem was defense, but it was 3-3 three to three in the second. And it was only 13-6 to six at the half. Tulsa's 0-2. They did run the ball. Travion Henderson may be the bell cow that they need in the backfield. 236 yards rushing, which is a new Ohio State freshman record. He averaged 11.2 yards per carry. If he can run the ball, they're going to be loaded, and, and it's going to only make them better because defenses have to be honest. The problem isn't the Buckeye offense. No matter how uninspired and unmotivated they looked at times against Tulsa, the Buckeye problem is still defense. They, they've got to fix that up. They won this game on sheer talent. They, they did. C.J. Stroud, got to get better. Olave, no catches. I thought that was huge. Uh, they've got to figure some things out, and they've got to do it quickly because the Big Ten, as I mentioned earlier, is not a forgiving conference this year. It's going to be tough, going to be a battle, going to be challenging. They've got to figure that out. Next game up, next to last game up, Alabama, Florida. Top-ranked Crimson Tide, number 11, Florida. This is a road game and what many believe the first real test for Alabama. I can say, in, in my opinion, this might have been the first time in a long time Alabama may have been outplayed. Now, First quarter, it looked like a mismatch. It was 21-3 in the first. Bama looked like Bama. But after the 21-3, they were outscored 26-10 the rest of the way. They, they, they struggled. They couldn't get a rhythm. 
particularly late in the second half. From the middle of the third quarter on, they really struggled. Florida got momentum. The swamp got loud. <clears throat> Ten minutes left in the third. Florida pulled within one possession. And the most glaring thing for me, Alabama didn't seem to be as committed to the run as they had been in previous years. When they had Najee Harris, you got to think about how good Najee Harris was. I'm a big, big fan of his now that he's with the Steelers. And I was a big fan of his when he was at Bama. You think about the quarterbacks Alabama's had. They had Jalen Hurts, Tua, Tugabailoa, and Mac Jones who weren't known for handing the ball off to Najee Harris. But Najee Harris still put in work. And if you want to be picky, before Najee Harris, guess who Jalen Hurts had? Derrick Henry. I don't say anymore. So they had those, and, and they stayed committed. Even though they were throwing the ball all over the field, Think about Mac Jones last year. He had Najee Harris, but Devontae Smith, wide receiver, won the Heisman Trophy. Bama didn't see it be as balanced, and that let Florida back in the game. It was a good test for Bama. Inconsistent play or not, and knowing Nick Saban, he'll use this to push them to get ready and move forward uh, with the rest of the schedule. Bama's got some more tests. Uh, they do. They've got some more games coming up that they've got to be ready for. And and I I don't want to spend too much time on this, but they've got some tests that they've got to get ready for. Uh, notably, Ole Miss, and then the very next week, Texas A&M. If they can manage that, and I didn't even get to Arkansas and Auburn in November, back-to-back. -back. This will not be the usual schedule Alabama's had where they can just cakewalk um, to the SEC West title. This is going to be uh, a fun challenge and a fun test. And believe me, like I said, Nick Saban will use this. And speaking of the SEC, the final game in our Magnificent Seven, as we lead up to the break, Auburn, number 22, Auburn at number 10, Penn State. The whiteout game. I watched that game, and man, as visual as it was to watch, I can only imagine what it was like there. Uh, Penn State, the thing that jumped out for me, Penn State's skill position players are good. They seem to match Auburn's speed, and I thought that was notable early on. But I was also left with the thought that either Auburn at 22 is underrated or Penn State at 10 is overrated. And what ended up being the difference in the game was the turnover at the beginning of the second half. That was huge. Uh, Auburn came out, uh, and they seemed to be determined, and they did a razzle-dazzle that didn't razzle or dazzle, and it turned into a turnover 
Penn State got the ball deep, scored, and Auburn was behind it the rest of the way. Where do I think either of these teams are? I think Penn State is still a work in progress. Uh, they have not overwhelmed in any of their games. Auburn was average in the SEC to begin with. Penn State was fortunate. I don't know that Penn State should rise any higher in the polls. I don't know that Auburn should drop out of them either. I think all of that is crucial to look at, to examine. You know, I still think, like I do with the NFL, September, I know our first week of looking at this, we called it week zero. You could almost call September month zero. The hyperbole of all of these teams, somebody loses at the end of the world, somebody wins, they're the team to beat. It's more in the NFL than in college football, believe it or not. Uh, in, in, in the NFL, and we'll get to it. The talk is all about this team is in trouble uh, after one week. Well, the same thing in college football. Now everybody's saying Alabama has chinks in the armor. Well, they played a great team. You know, if you go by SEC standards, they played a great team, a really, really good team in their place. Alabama shouldn't have won by 30. It should have been close. But Alabama contributed to the closeness. Let's not ignore that. Poor clock management from Florida didn't help either. I think it's too soon to say. I think October, by the time we get to October, we're going to know, especially in college football, because the season is considerably shorter than in the NFL, we will know what's what there. We're going to take our first break. When we come back, we're going to talk, who are the Fab Five? in week three of the NCAA, when we come back. BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway, is brought to you by the Nation of Christ Life Center, where yours truly is the founder and pastor. And while we are not having in-person Sunday service, we are indeed having life study every Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Lakeview Park, unless otherwise noted, in the bustling metropolis known as Port Clinton, Ohio, where we worship on the lake. If you're anywhere in the 43452 area code, anywhere in the Ottawa County region, if you are free and available, come and hang out with us. We'll be more than happy to have you at the Nation of Christ Life Center. We look forward to seeing you. We're back. BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. We're going to talk about the NCAA. Who are my Fab Five teams to look at for the week? And, and this is a ranking a power ranking, if you will. I like to call it the Fab Five. I grew up in the Fab Five era. Loved Michigan. So happy that um, Bruce, uh, I'm sorry, not Bruce, Chris Weber is in the Hall of Fame. Uh, very, very happy for him uh, there. Uh, so I grew up in the Fab Five era. So this is uh, Fab Five related. Uh, my Fab Five in NCAA, in, in order of ranking, I'm going to start from the bottom and work my way up. Number five, because we all know who number one is. Number five is Iowa. And 
it's really, really hard for me uh, to gauge these teams yet, especially teams like Iowa, who haven't really done anything yet. Uh, they have not faced any adversity. Yeah, they went and beat Iowa State, but I want to see what they do in the Big Ten. Iowa still has some offensive issues, but you cannot ignore the fact that they play physical, they play hard, they play great defense. And because of what else is happening with some other notable teams who are not in this top five, Clemson, Ohio State, I, I think Notre Dame, I think it is worth noting that Iowa deserves this spot. Now, Cincinnati is breathing down their necks. I would, if I had a six-pack, as it were, Cincinnati would be right there, at, probably at six, and I might flip-flop them. Depending on when you ask me, I might flip-flop Iowa for Cincinnati. But right now, i got to go with Iowa. They have the more notable win. Again, beating Iowa State, who was ranked uh, uh, in the top ten at the time. Cincinnati beats Notre Dame in two weeks. Cincinnati's in my top five. But that's two weeks, but we'll see what happens. Number four, Texas A&M. They rebounded. Their quarterback is out uh, for a while. They've got a new quarterback in, and guess what? A&M didn't miss a beat. They came out and played like they were supposed to. They came out and played with some pace. They came out and played like they were bound and determined to prove that uh, the scare against Colorado was an aberration. Um, they came out to prove that, uh, and they needed to. I mean, that was 10-7, to 7 and Colorado, a stop here, uh, turnover here, Colorado easily wins that game. A&M came out and did what they were supposed to, 34 to nothing over New Mexico. Now, they've got a test coming up this weekend when they go to Arkansas. We're going to find out a lot about A&M this weekend. So stay tuned to that. Number three, and really they get more predictable as we go up, Oregon, no Thibodeau, no flow, and they may not get flow back for a while. They're outstanding linebacker. Oregon is third. Again, off of their win in Columbus. Here's the thing with these teams. Unless you're in Alabama or a Georgia, I would say even an Ohio State or a Clemson, you need a signature win. Because those four teams that I mentioned, now, it, let me tell you something. If Clemson comes out of the gate blasting people, Clemson's in the top three, top four. If Ohio State comes out blasting people, I'm talking about on both sides of the ball. The Buckeyes are right there without a signature win. Why? Reputation. I guarantee you, Ohio State and Clemson came out and handled business. The polls, which would look like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and then either Georgia or Oklahoma. In this context, it would have been Georgia. And you know what? I take that back. If Clemson comes out and is Clemson, they beat Georgia. So the fourth team would have been Oklahoma. But Ohio State and Clemson haven't looked good. Oregon has the signature win, how ironically, over Ohio State. Thus, they are the third best team in the country. 
will they survive the Pac-10? That remains to be seen. And we'll see how that goes. But for right now, I've got them at three. And they're going to get some more tests. UCLA, despite the loss to Fresno State, UCLA will still be there. Uh, I still think Stanford's very good. Uh, it's going to be uh, a dogfight in the Pac-12 uh, just a bit. Number two, uh, two and one, one and two. Yeah, I know at this point, Georgia's second, Alabama's first. Georgia offered the strength of their win against uh, Clemson in a very uninspiring offensive game, I will say. But it was nevertheless a win over Clemson. And you got to give Georgia some credit for that. They've got to find some offense, though, uh, looking forward. They, they just have to. Uh, I'm not as sold on Georgia as some people are. Uh, they, they've got to they've got to put up some more points. Now they did it against South Carolina. They put up 40. I really want to see them shred Vanderbilt on Saturday because it gets tougher after that. Arkansas, then Auburn. Uh, it it's going to get tougher. Like I said, Arkansas, Auburn, they get Kentucky, which is almost a bye week. Then they get Florida. Uh, and, and the Florida game is their last test. They survived that gauntlet. That's three toughies in a four-week stretch. They survive. If they survive October, Georgia will be there when it's said and done. But they got to survive October. And right now I've got them at number two which, of course, leaves Alabama at one. And I don't even have to spend a lot of time talking about Alabama. Uh, they're loaded. They can score. They're going to run it up on Southern Miss on Saturday because Nick Saban is going to grind them in practice all week and tell them how fortunate they were to beat Florida. And he's going to point out all the mistakes that they've made. Uh, they're going to beat Southern Miss, and, they, and it's going to be a tune-up because their schedule gets tricky. They're going to have a fun October. Uh, Mississippi, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Tennessee. Then they get LSU, and I think they close out with Arkansas and Auburn. Uh, so it's going to be interesting for Bama. I still think they're heads above the rest. Not heads and shoulders, though. Florida proved that. The gap is narrow, but it's not definitely closed. So those are my Fab Five. Again, uh Starting with Alabama at the top, followed by Georgia, Oregon, Texas A&M, and Iowa. Ah, that brings me to the NFL. And I'm going to call this section of this episode the good, the bad, and the ugly, which we may do this every time we talk about the NFL, particularly after the weekend. And, and, and I had a lot of good, bad, and ugly to choose from. So let's get right to it. Um, the good... And I was torn. Um, I had, like I said, I had a lot to choose from for all three categories. My good, I had the Denver Broncos with Teddy Bridgewater. That's a great story. Um, they're uh, 2-0. and uh, We still don't know what they have, however, but they're 2-0. and And because it's Teddy Bridgewater, that's a good story. I'm rooting for this guy wherever he goes. I personally thought he should have stayed in New Orleans uh, because he would be the starting quarterback in New Orleans right now. Jameis Winston would be somewhere else. They never would have got Jameis if they had kept Teddy. Um, so I'm rooting for him there. 
Carolina's a great story. Sam Darnold, after being basically on the uh, ash heap in New York, he's had a bit of a resurrection in Carolina with the Panthers. And they're 2-0. But the team I'm going to go with as the good, I'm going to go with the Las Vegas Raiders. I still have trouble saying that. They're still always, for me, Oakland. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road, by the way, 26-17. Derek Carr. Now, when I did my preseason prognostication and listed who my MVPs were, Derek Carr was not in the list. But, man, he is balling after two weeks. He, 382 yards against the Steelers, and that's no slouch defense. Even without T.J. Watt, that's still a very good defense. And he lit them up for 382. A couple of TDs, no picks. That's the biggest thing I'm noticing about Carr. He's not turning the ball over. He's managing that very, very well, and, and that's good because turnovers in this league will kill you. So I, I like that. They look more disciplined. Only five penalties. The Raiders were always a team that just a lot of penalties. I'm talking eight, nine, ten a game. Five for 40 yards. And the big number, no turnovers. They look the part. They, they really do. But for me, the verdict on them, it's early because they've done this before. The Raiders have started out well before. They, they've jumped out and have had great Septembers before. But here's the thing. And I, and I just got through saying this. I just mentioned this in the NCAA portion of this episode. Nothing happens in September. Nothing. You can't effectively gauge anything in September. It's like the first month of the NBA season. You can't gauge anything in mid-October when the season starts. Wait until November when the chemistry is developing and rhythms are established and who's hurt, who's not, who's who, who's gelling together, what coaches are, are, you know, you got new coaches this year. You can't determine anything. The NFL is no different. Everything is, oh, my God, they're the best team ever, or, oh, my God, our season is tanked. Remember, it's a 17-game schedule this year. 2-0 and doesn't mean as much as it did when we had a 12- or a 14-game schedule. You could go 0-2 and, and make the playoffs. I believe that. You could go 0-2 and, and then go 8-7 and seven the rest of the way. Or, let me see, you can go 0-2 and, and then go 9-6 and six the rest of the way. You're still 9-8, and eight, and in the right division, that still might get you a wild card. 0-2 is not the death sentence that it used to be. Now, for the Raiders, like I said, it's early. We're going to find out what they're made of when they go to Los Angeles to SoFi Stadium and they play the Chargers. Chargers could easily be 2-0 right now if it weren't for a just disastrous uh, penalty against the Chargers in the red zone. They could easily be 2-0 right now. But the Chargers are good, and Herbert's the real deal. 
So we'll see what the Raiders are all about then. Now, that was the good. The bad, and again, I had choices. I could go with the blatantly obvious, Jacksonville, Urban Meyer, Trevor Lawrence. That's a, a mini dumpster fire. I could easily go to the Jets, which is another dumpster fire. I could easily go to Miami, who despite losing Tua to a fractured rib, they got beat 35 to nothing. I don't know how in the NFL with the talent that each team has, you get shut out anymore. But I am going to go with the bad, the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints now, they deserve my bad. Because as good as they looked, as good as they looked, I'll repeat it, as good as they looked against Green Bay, they looked dreadful against Carolina. Now, is it Carolina's defense? Could be. Carolina's defense is legit. But Winston only had a 111 yards passing, which is abysmal. It's abysmal. And he reverted to his Tampa Bay self with two INTs. But what's more glaring for me, what stood out more for me, what happened to Alvin Kamara? Eight carries, five yards. That's insane. Eight carries, five yards. Winston was the leading rusher with only 19 yards. They got to get a run game. That's the only way Winston's going to be decent. It's what he didn't have in Tampa. You got to run the ball with some consistency. Take the pressure off of him to keep him in situations where he doesn't have to do a lot or be a superhero. So the verdict of all of that is, Who's the real team? May the real New Orleans please stand up. Because are they the team that handled Green Bay? Or are they the team that looked like they were lost and out of sorts against Carolina? And here's the thing. They don't have a lot of time to figure that out. They're in Foxborough next week for the Patriots. So they better figure something out quick. Before we get to our last break, I gotta cover the ugly. Ooh. And and to me it was ugly. And and it could have and again, I'll say this, I had choices. I had choices. I I really did. I had choices for what was ugly. Um again, Jacksonville, Miami. I had choices for ugly. But I'm gonna go with the Seattle Seahawks. Big surprise. Yeah. Because they lost to Tennessee. Now, Tennessee's no slouch opponent. But it's ugly because of the way they lost. And what and what the loss means. It is clear the NFC West is going to be uh, a dogfight of a division. The NFC West 
is going to be a dogfight of a division. I'm going to say it again. The NFC West is no joke. You have, in my opinion, four teams with Super Bowl aspirations. Four teams with Super Bowl talent. Can't afford to be losing home games when you have a 14-point lead with 13 minutes left. They led by 15 at uh, led by 14 at the half. Uh, by 15 at the half, and led by 14 with 13 minutes to go. The missed extra point, little things, fundamentally sound, necessary things. A missed extra point opened the door, and Tennessee went wild. But what was more glaring for me, Seattle couldn't stop Tannehill. Now you got to remember where this game was played, Seattle which is right there with Kansas City as one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. Seattle's ridiculous. That 12th man, and they hadn't had fans there in a year. They were amped. They were, they were cut loose. They were crazy silent in the fourth quarter because Seattle could not put Tennessee away and, and they couldn't stop Tennessee. King Henry, Derek Henry, we mentioned him earlier. He's the workhorse. He reverted to form in a tremendous way. And he could not be stopped. And, and Derrick Henry's the kind of guy, when he gets rolling, you are not going to contain him. And that's what happened. And Seattle lost their way. And... To lose that game 33 to 30 in overtime, they could not stop Derek Lamar Henry when it counted. And here's another thing I don't want to overlook Ryan Tannehill was seven for seven on that last drive. Couldn't pressure him, they couldn't stop him. Yeah, he was hitting running backs and, and, and short passes, but still, seven for seven is seven for seven. And Seattle, which is known for its toughness, they're not the legion of boom they've been in the past. They're not. But Henry had 182 yards on 35 carries. Seemed like the more the game went on, the tougher he was. And that wore Seattle out. The verdict for all of this when it was all when it's all said and done. And again, two games in, don't panic. But this was a bad loss in the division where you cannot afford to have bad losses. And again, even though, I'm going to say it again, it's week two, Seattle now is looking up at three teams who are ahead of them, who they've got to play. And now their schedule gets really challenging. Minnesota on the road, 49ers on the road, the Rams at home, Steelers on the road. They got to hope at best for three and one. I don't know that three and one is possible. I just don't. It's going to be tough sledding, and they're going to be looking up at the rest of that division, and that's going to be challenging. When we come back, we'll talk about the NFL Fab Five for the second week on BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway, is brought to you by Clean Design LLC, a residential and a residential and commercial cleaning service company 
serving the greater Ottawa County area of Ohio. They clean it to your design. And they also provide off-season home management for those that are looking to get away from the harsh North Coast winters and want to feel safe about their homes in the process. You can find them on Facebook as well. Clean Design, LLC, where they clean it to your design. We're back with the BYOB Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. As we close this segment out, the NFL Fab Five for week two. Now, I want to preface all of this that I'm about to say with this one statement, and it's going to be a reiteration. And that reiteration is, I know it's week two. I know it's week two. I do. I know it's too soon and too early to pronounce a champion. It's too early, too soon to pronounce uh, somebody dead and buried in the water for the season. But nevertheless, these five teams are worth talking about. And just like I did with the NCAA, I'm going to work from the bottom, go up, because it's not as clear cut. I'm going to start with my honorable mentions, in fact. And I have four honorable mentions, and I'll start again. And these are in no particular order. But I want to start with Kansas City. They're one and one, but my concern with Kansas City is they continue to play to the level of their competition. They had Cleveland at home and fell behind. That was glaring for me, that they couldn't start out ready to go. You know, first season after the Super Bowl, first game after the Super Bowl loss, first season with fans back in the building. I mean, full-fledged, packed house back in the building. They came out like they hadn't gotten out of bed yet. That's concerning. Now, they got going against Baltimore, but then couldn't close the deal. Now, Lamar Jackson's heroics aside, Kansas City should have won that game. And it's easy to point at the fumble. But you knew Baltimore was going to run. It's their identity. I really think Kansas City's defense needs to be re-examined and taken a closer look at. They are giving up a lot. They're getting gashed in some areas. Cleveland was able to run the ball effectively. And it's funny because in each game, one play decided the game. If Cleveland doesn't botch the punt, they beat the Chiefs. If the running back doesn't fumble the ball, if there's no fumble late, Chiefs beat the Ravens. So kind of like I said about uh, the Saints, will the real Kansas City please step up? And I know I can't believe I'm saying this because they have the quarterback of all quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes, but at some point, the Chiefs have to play to the level of their ability. They need a run game, and they've got to have better run defense. Two weeks in a row, they've been exposed in that area. But they're still offensively skilled enough to be an honorable mention and one of the best teams in the league. They're one of the best eight, seven, or eight teams in the league. They've got to fix some things, though, if they want to get back to the Super Bowl. Cleveland is in my honorable mention category. They're one and one 
the aforementioned loss to Kansas City. They came back and rebounded and uh, won their second game against the Texans. Listen, Cleveland's loaded, but I'm concerned about injuries. They don't have Odell Beckham Jr. yet. And Jarvis Landry is on the IR and will be there for at least three games. They now have some depth problems at wide receiver. That could be challenging for Cleveland, particularly if you don't know if Odell Beckham Jr. is going to come back and even look remotely like Odell Beckham Jr. It was an ACL tear. We don't know. They're being cautious with him for good reason. But if they can't have either of those all-pro wideouts on either side of Baker Mayfield, it's going to be a problem for Cleveland. So their depth is going to be tested as they move forward. My other honorable mention is San Francisco. Now, they're 2-0, and but I think, they, believe it or not, with a Super Bowl roster, they're under the radar. Everybody's looking at Seattle because of Russell Wilson, even more so after the loss. Everybody's looking at Arizona because of Kyler Murray and, and what that offense can do. Everybody's looking at the Rams because of three names, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, and Matthew Stafford. And that's not to slight any of the other players on the Rams team, but the Niners are 2-0, and and we don't know who they have yet. They beat Detroit. They scored 41 on Detroit, but they only won by eight. They looked uninspired against the Eagles, but was that more Philadelphia's defense or the 49ers playing to the level of their competition? We're going to find out Sunday night because the 49ers host the Packers. And after the, I'm, I'm curious to see what the Packers do tonight against Detroit after their swampland appearance. And I say that because they walked like they were in a swamp. They played like they were in a swamp the first game against the Saints. Will the Packers be better against Detroit? And will they be better at San Francisco, who has owned them of late? So we'll see what the 49ers are. We'll find out if they're the real deal or not here real, real soon. My other 2-0 honorable mention, and I referred to them earlier, is Denver. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm pulling for Teddy Bridgewater. And, and I'm pulling for Teddy Bridgewater because... I believe in that guy. He can play. Um, he's a skilled, quality quarterback um, that he didn't get, I thought, a decent uh, opportunity in Carolina. I really would have wished he'd have stayed in um, New Orleans, but he wanted to go elsewhere. We're going to find out what Denver has. We just don't know yet. Vic Fangio has done a decent job. Their defense is legit, but they just lost Nick. Uh, they just lost um, Chubb. Uh, I'm forgetting his first name. They just lost um, the the other part of that uh, defense with Von Bell. His last name is Chubb. I can't remember his, his first name. It's escaping me. He's out, and don't know when he's going to be back. But more to my point, we don't know who Denver is yet because of who they've played. They played the Giants and they played the Jags. They get the Jets on Sunday. We still don't know what Denver is. We'll know the first Sunday in October 
when Lamar Jackson comes to town. Now we're going to find out what Denver, but they're still an honorable mention for me because they're 2-0 and and Teddy Bridgewater is a good story. Now, let's get to the Fab Five. And I'm going to start, I'm going to continue from the bottom to the top with the aforementioned Carolina Panthers. Here's the thing about them. It's not Sam Darnold. Everybody wants to say, ooh, Sam Darnold, you know, didn't get a fair opportunity. The more he succeeds in Carolina, the more they're going to throw, you know, ash heap. They're, they're going to throw jets on the ash heap. The more Darnold succeeds in Carolina, the more he was misused in New York. The more he succeeds in Carolina, the more of an indictment it is against the jets. But it's not Darnold why Carolina's 2-0. Christian McCaffrey's back. He looks great. Almost 200 yards from scrimmage on Sunday. He a real deal. But the reason why Carolina's 2-0 is the defense. They've allowed 10.5 points per game. Their defense is good. Now, they're going to get tested. But like Denver, we're not going to know the level of that test for two weeks. Because they go to Dallas. Dak Prescott and that offense, they can score on anybody. They proved that week one against Tampa. Tampa was shorthanded, but we're going to see what Carolina does in two weeks. But right now, they're my number five team. Number four, again, we mentioned them earlier. This was the good, when the good, the bad, the ugly, the good, the Raiders. Has Derek Carr finally arrived? Can this defense hold up? Now, the defense, they looked shaky against Baltimore. And truth be told, Lamar Jackson doesn't fumble three times. The Ravens win that game. Uh, Pittsburgh, we don't know who they are, so we don't know the level. We don't know to the level of that win just yet. But so far, after two games, they looked apart. Miami at home on Sunday, no Tua. So we're going to see, quite frankly, that's a game the Raiders should win. It's a home game. The Raiders should win. They get the Chargers on the road next. We're going to find out what the Raiders have then for Sunday in October. I think it's not even a Sunday. I think it's a Monday night game. Uh, the Raiders travel to SoFi. It is indeed a Monday night game. So that's going to be the spotlight on the Raiders. And we'll see what Derek Carr has then. Number three, as we're winding down this particular episode, number three is Arizona. And, and the one thing about Arizona that they have proven and I mean have proven, they can score on anybody, can score with anybody. They're in 36 points a game. Now, they got the Jags on Sunday. They're going to score some more. They get the Rams after that, though, at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. We're going to find out what Arizona has. Because I think, and I've said this and I'll say it again, I think they have the best defensive line player in the league in Aaron Donald. T.J. Watt's more of a linebacker uh, for me. He's not a defensive end. Aaron Donald is legit defensive end. Best in the game. I think they have the best cornerback in the game in Jalen Ramsey. I've loved Jalen Ramsey since Jacksonville. It's amazing how many good players are coming out of Jacksonville who couldn't cut it there or didn't want to be there. I like that Ram defense. We're going to find a lot, find out a lot about Arizona 
in two weeks. But right now, they're my number three team because they can score. And that takes me to my number two team, the Rams. Stafford, if, if the MVP vote were right now, Stafford would be second. Right ahead of Carr and right behind Brady. It's hard for me to even say Brady, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But but the Rams are legit. Now, their next two games, we're going to find out what's what. They're at home. Tampa Bay, the defending champions, are coming to SoFi, and the Cardinals coming to SoFi. If the Rams come out of that 4-0, watch out. They're going to be scary. They've got some tough road games, obviously. They go to San Francisco. They go to Seattle. They go back and visit Arizona. But the Rams, Stafford may be the piece that they've needed to become crazy good this year. And that, of course, takes me to number one, uh, Tampa. And I'm not saying this because I'm a Tampa guy. I've been a Tampa fan since the 70s. They look really good. And, and I said it. And nobody really listened to me. I said it and I kept saying it. Brady is a guy of preparation more than he is. I'll show up on Sunday because I'm good. I'll play. They missed the offseason workouts. They missed training camp. They missed OTA. They missed all of that. He had no time with his team. They were literally shuffling in pieces as the season was going, i.e. Antonio Brown. Now he's had an off-season with these guys. That Tampa offense can score on anybody, and we're going to find out how legit that is as they have two really tough road games coming up. They go to SoFi Stadium for the Rams, and then they go to Gillette Stadium to play the Patriots. They're going to be 3-1 and one when that's over. I don't think they're going to beat the Rams at SoFi. I, I don't. Um and, and too many injuries for the Bucks. They're still not healthy on the back end in the secondary. Uh, and they don't have Antonio Brown for this game coming up. So it's going to be interesting to see. But you cannot miss the fact that Brady's got nine TDs after two weeks. So it's going to be interesting. That's my top five. Bucks, Rams, Cardinals, Raiders, Panthers. So we'll see how this week plays out for sure. This has been... BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. And we're on five days a week, wherever you find your podcast. And you can reach us via our Facebook page. So leave a comment, a review, a critique, and a shout-out. And if by chance there are topics you'd like to have discussed or questions you want referenced on a particular show, drop us an email at wkir100 at gmail.com. That's wkir100, for we keep it real and 100 at gmail.com. And before I go, I want to hit the Netflix pick of the week. We do one every week, and as we've been talking about sports, I want to wholeheartedly recommend the Netflix special Untold Breaking Point, which chronicles tennis star Marty Fish came up alongside Andy Roddick as two of the top talents in the United States during the first decade of this new millennium. And he began so significantly to struggle with his anxiety on a higher level and is subsequently pulled out of a U.S. Open match in 2012 with number one world player Roger Federer. Watch it. I guarantee you'll love it. 
Again, this is BYOB, the Bring Your Own Brain podcast with Tony Calloway. I will see you next time. Take care. Thank you.